good to see each one here this morning. Thank God for warmth. Had to thank yesterday. Our, our children were outside playing quite a bit, especially the younger ones, for hours on end, and they dressed up and went outside. And was thinking about how, for us older ones, we tend to look at the thermometer before we go out, and then we don't go out. And if we just go out, it wouldn't be as bad as we would think it is. It's good to see each one of you here, and I'm sure there's some that couldn't make it this morning. God bless you as you're home. We had a little bit of sickness in our house, so Joanna's home with uh, two of the children. I'd like to look again at, um, at the blesseds this morning in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, so you can turn there. It's just a real blessing to study these verses. We'll be looking at... Uh, Verse 5 this morning, blessed are the meek. To study these verses means you have to dig into things, study it, find the meaning. And if you spend a few hours on a sermon, you begin to internalize these verses. So if you want a good exercise this afternoon, spend the afternoon putting together a sermon on one of these verses and... and uh, It will stick with you more. It's been a real blessing for me. It's been convicting. It's been challenging. So as we talked about before, the Beatitudes are not telling us how to be a Christian or how to become a Christian, but they're telling us what a true Christian looks like. Many people profess to be Christians, but as you read down through these verses, does your life line up with the Beatitudes? And what is Jesus trying to communicate through these verses? The Beatitudes are a tool for discerning your spiritual condition. And so as we look at the verse, blessed are the meek, this morning, don't think about your neighbor who may or may not be meeker than you, but think about yourself. And uh, what is God telling me this morning? So what is meekness? Let's start there. Meekness is weakness, they say, or maybe you've heard that term. But what is meekness? We think of a person who's soft-spoken. Maybe they have a limp handshake. We're not sure how forward they are. Uh, Maybe they're easily pushed around, and uh, meek and mild is used together. But I'm not sure if it should be. We think of a meek person as maybe lacking strength. And uh, meekness is definitely not something that our culture talks about or encourages because we, as Americans, are living in the land of the free and the home of the brave, and there's not a lot of room for meekness in that. And none of us have been born with meekness. At least I haven't met anyone who has been born with meekness. Maybe your children have meekness for a little bit every now and then, but it's nothing that comes natural for us. Rather, we've been born with pride. And meekness is humble, content, patient, gentle, forgiving. And when you look up the definition of meekness in the dictionary, it says quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, submissive. So do we really want to be meek? But here Jesus is teaching, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How do you inherit? If you inherit something, or if something's yours, you definitely don't get it by being meek. As you look at 
the world we live in. Let's take a look at human nature to to uh, discern here what meekness is. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote a book, The Quest for Meekness and Quietness of Spirit. And so when you look at the, the Latin meaning of meek, a meek man, the word is manasutus. Manu means hand, and asutus means used to. Used to the hand. And this is a reference to taming a wild animal. I don't think people work on taming wild animals much unless it comes to being a horse. Because you can take a wild horse and you can, you can tame it, train it, and it becomes something useful. Maybe there's other wild animals I'm not thinking of that, that are useful if they're tamed. When you think about a wild horse, what is it worth? How valuable is a wild horse? Is it, does it have any value? They're worth a lot. Would you pay money for a wild horse? <laughs> We'd hardly give anything because they eat, eat food, right? And you can't ride them. You can't touch them, right? They'll, they'll bite you or kick you. Maybe sometimes tame horses will bite you too. But uh, they don't let anyone come near them, and uh, they might be beautiful, but what is that actually worth? <laughs> Depends how much of a challenge you want. Yeah, even even uh, tame horses can be a challenge sometimes. But if you want to challenge tame a wild horse, I was actually on the phone with a lady recently, and and um, she had interest in working at Meadows of Hope with the equine part of the program. And so we were talking about her experience, and she said, I a couple years ago uh, participated in the hundred day um, Mustang challenge. And so if you want to participate, you let it be known that you are open to taking in one of these wild Mustangs out west. And so they have 100 days uh, to tame this Mustang, to have a relationship with it, and figure out how to work together with it. And I said, well, how did you do? She said, well, I placed third. I said, well, let's talk more. So, yes. If you can tame a wild horse, you have something of value. If you read Jeremiah in chapter 2, there's a few verses there. Jeremiah 2, verses 23 and 24. God compares his own people to a wild donkey and a restless camel. Talk about the children of Israel. How canst thou say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See thy way in the valley. Know that thou hast done. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary traversing her ways. A wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure. And so Jesus is talking about the children of Israel here and how wild and untamed they were and unworkable. And I believe that our corrupt nature, our inherited sin nature, has made us like a wild horse or a wild donkey. So when, when we do have the, the spirit of meekness, the grace of meekness, when that actually gets a hold of us as a person, it changes our heart. 
we come under the hand. We actually begin to become something useful. So a horse that hasn't been broken, if you have a wild horse, they will kick, they will bite. A bit and bridle does not work. And it's a fight, right? It takes time. It takes a lot of work to break in a wild horse. But after it's used to the bit and bridle, after it submits to someone, it can be useful, very useful, used for work, used for riding, but it needs to come under the bit and bridle. And then it can win. Then it can actually accomplish something. And when I think of a wild horse being tamed and useful, I think about strength under control. A wild horse that's not under control is dangerous, and you will get hurt. When they're under control, you can actually work with them. The animal's at peace and becomes useful. So what about us? By nature, we're like this unbroken and wild horse. We resist God's hand. We kick out against him. We lash out at other people. The personal, personal turmoil in our soul affects others. And I don't think we call those people meek people. Hopefully, this isn't a description of you, but yet we all have those tendencies. When we see a meek person, the impulses of their heart are brought under control. And the more we grow in meekness, I believe, the more useful we will become. Meekness calms the passions that are destructive and it gets, gives check to our untempered emotions. It changes the way we speak. To be meek is not to use harsh words. And I believe meekness helps us accept the life that we have been given. And so we place ourselves under the hand, and as Christians under the hand of God, and we submit. And to submit is to place our mission... Submission is to place our mission under someone else. And we place our mission under the hand of God. This is meekness. I believe a, practical def- a few practical definitions of, of meekness. When we submit, we submit ourselves to God's word. James one twenty one. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Receive with meekness and grafted word. And receive means to change, to take in and change, to internalize, which is able to save your souls. We submit to God's will. Sometimes God puts us in places that we have not chosen to be. And our flesh needs to be crucified day after day after day. When we choose to be meek, we begin to accept what God has placed in our lives. And then submitting ourselves to God's people. It's one thing to submit to God, but what about God's people who are imperfect and have faults also? Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. And this is not natural for us. But I believe meekness grows in the discipline of a committed relationship. And I believe meekness grows when we have problems, when we have relationship issues. 
Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Giving weight to what others think above what we think, even though we know that we are right, is meekness. Moses was very meek. God calls Moses the meekest man on earth, but he was not someone who I would consider weak. Uh, He was very brave to lead the children of Israel. I believe he was a good leader, and yet he brought his mission under God. He came under God's hand, and God could use him. David, when he was pushed out of the kingdom and leaving, Abishai was with him. Shimei walked along throwing stones and cursing at David. And that was a low time for David. But what did David do? I believe he displayed meekness. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.16 that no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God it may not be laid to their charge. I believe Paul had placed his mission under God's mission. And he was under the hand of God. It wasn't about him anymore. And of course, the example of Jesus being reviled, insulted, and cursed. He did not respond to that other than asking God to forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Another example of a man in more recent history, Abraham Lincoln, was considered not to be very handsome. In fact, he was considered to be the opposite of handsome. And uh, once was asked, Uh, was approached about being two-faced, and he said, well, why would I be wearing this one if I am two-faced? Maybe taking a bit out of context there and making a joke out of it, but he definitely did not uh, have looks at all. There was one man who made sure he didn't forget how ugly he was, and that man was Edwin Stanton. Uh, Both Edwin and Abraham were in law, practicing law, They would end up in court, sometimes on opposing sides, and Edwin would uh, insult him and call him a gorilla in public debates. Maybe not much has changed. Maybe the names have changed or gotten a little worse since then. And so there was no one else who insulted Abraham Lincoln more than Edwin. And this continued on for some time. And eventually uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, ran for president and won, And who else did he choose to be his secretary of war than Edwin Stanton? And so people were pretty upset about that. They said, how could you do this to Edwin? How could you invite him into your inner circle after all he has said to you? And Lincoln's reply was, I chose Stanton simply because he is the best man for the job. He looked past everything that Edwin was saying about him. He recognized a person's worth no matter how that person may have hurt him. And is this being naive or or just patient? I believe it's being meek. Meekness is power that is under control, coming under the hand of God. Later on, when Lincoln was shot at the funeral, Stanton, the man who once called Lincoln a gorilla, looked at the president's rugged face and said through tears, 
There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And I believe it's because of Abraham Lincoln's meekness that Stanton said that. So how do we grow in meekness? How do do we become meek? Is there a recipe? Do we just decide to be meek and and, uh, begin to live that way? As we look at the Beatitudes, I believe we see a progression here. First of all, we have the verse, in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we are beggars, right? We have nothing to bring other than what God has given us. We move on to the next verse. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those who see their sin and mourn their sin. And I believe the more we see our sin, the more we realize how much we are in need of a Savior. And only then do we move into meekness. I believe it's humbling when we really mourn our sin, when we come face to face with it repeatedly. We no longer insist on our rights, and we no longer are quick to point out sin in other people. We become meek. And I believe through the momentum of being repentant, we begin to arrive at meekness. Meekness, I believe, is, is, uh, should be very close to the heart of a Christian minister. There's a few verses on this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It talks about the Lord's servant but must not be quarrelsome and correct those who oppose themselves in meekness. 1 Peter 3.15, we are prepared to give a defense with meekness and fear. Galatians 6.1, in confrontation, we're supposed to correct others through meekness. And I believe this goes not just for ministers, but for all Christians as we live together with each other and be a witness to the world around us. So how do we cultivate the spirit of meekness? I have a, a list of things that we can do. The temptation is to pull out of meekness as soon as you are meek, right? The temptation is always there to stand up, to not be run over, uh, to stand up for what you perceive as yours or your rights. But how do, how do we become meek and how do we stay meek? I believe there are things that we can do, practical things that are helpful, but the real route to meekness is through recognizing our need of Christ. A few things that are helpful in growing in meekness. I believe number one is to to reevaluate our expectations of other people. We know the Bible verse, God knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And we tend to forget that when we think about other people. We feel that our fellow Christians should be pretty much perfect or at least measure up to what we would expect of them. And we forget that we're only dust and God has a lot of mercy towards us. 
So be mindful that other people are doing the best that they can. And we're all in, in different we're all at different places on the journey of becoming perfect as Christ is perfect, and we will never arrive until we get to heaven. Number two, find joy in the evidences of God's grace. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, think on these things. And dwell on those things. Where's your mind at? And the more you can dwell on what, on these evidences of God's grace, the more you become like him. Find joy in what God is doing in another person's life. Admire the grace of God in other people. <clears throat> Number three, remember how much you've been forgiven. In 2 Peter 1.9, it says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So if God were as angry with me about my offenses as I am angry with other people about their offenses, what would he do with me? I believe he who has been forgiven much and knows it and recognizes it will forgive others. Take time before you form judgment. Pause, learn, listen. James 119, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, slow to anger. In Psalms 116, David talked about, he said, In my haste, I said, all men are liars. And then he corrected himself later. It wasn't true. We all know that if you have a little pot of water, it boils over pretty quickly, right? It doesn't take long. Don't be a little pot of water. Be a big pot. Have meekness with wisdom. Make friends with meek people. Proverbs 22, verse 4, make no friendship with a man given to anger. Why? Because we'll become like him. Find meek people, make friends with them. Number six, take pleasure in the joys of others. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I don't know if we really understand the depth of those verses. Sure, we're with our friends. If they're happy, that excites us. If they're sad, that affects us also and we're investing in other people God has called us into relationship but what about if you don't have much money but you're so excited because other people have more than you do or your health is poor but you're happy because other people are feeling better than you are That's an exciting life to live, isn't it? If you actually are really excited about other people's blessings. I believe it's really powerful if we in our own lives can be intentional to rejoice in every good gift that God gives to another person that he did not give to you. I believe that's where we as people can be meek and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Discern God's hand in the work of your enemies. When we look at Jesus on the cross, Jesus was not upset at Judas for betraying him. 
or upset at Pilate for not standing up for him, or the Roman soldiers for killing him. But he looked to his father and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. What an example. I believe for us, as long as we see our lives as a story of what other people have done to us, We will live with disappointment, we will live with anger, we will live with frustration, with resentment. What if we see and discern God's hand in the work of our enemies? I believe this is a mark of meekness. Walking daily with Christ, with Jesus, who is the personification of weakness, of of meekness. Matthew 11, 29, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And as we walk with him, we become like him. Just as two animals are yoked together, I believe the Holy Spirit walks with us and helps to carry the burden. The ending of Matthew eleven twenty nine is good. It says, ye shall find rest unto your souls. And a meek person is at rest. <clears throat> Anticipate all that God has promised. What has he promised the meek? That they will inherit the earth. As we're meek, as we become one with Christ, as we're adopted, I believe we are written into his will, and God owns everything. And eventually the meek will inherit the earth. And number 10, ask God to give you this meekness. Sometimes we try so hard and, and God's just wanting us to ask. James 1.5, if any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you want meekness, ask God for meekness. Later in James chapter 3, it talks about the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And this just seems like a description of a person who has come under the hand, who has been tamed, who is power under control. And it's a description of a meek person. So in closing here, may we be followers of Christ. May we be used to the hand. May we bring our plan under God's and submit to him. This isn't weakness, but this is meekness. And I believe God uses a meek person for his plan and only at that point do we as Christians become useful when our lives are characterized by meekness? Let's kneel for prayer.